Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. Welcome to Truth Set Free, our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Q&A program. It is recorded live on Wednesdays at 3.30 p.m. with Pastor Matt Lewis and Steve Winery. You can view the live program at our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Facebook page and on our YouTube channel. You can text your questions to 707-872-7677 or email them to crosswalkradio at gmail.com. Hello, you guys. Welcome to True Set Free. My name is Matt Lewis. This is Pastor Steve Winery. This is a question and answer show from Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kenneth, Washington. If you guys are watching the show, post in the comments, whether you're watching YouTube or Facebook, we'll do our best to answer those. If not, they'll go on the next show. Uh, you guys that are uh, regulars during the week, um, crosswalkradio at gmail.com. You can text 707-872-7677 with your questions as well. I do have a couple of announcements. One of those is Father Daughter Ball. It's coming up. You can get on our website. It is Friday, February 2nd through Sunday, February 4th. Obviously, you pick a day, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. But you guys can go online, get your tickets for that. It does sell out quick, especially if you want a primetime night like a Friday, Saturday. Uh, it's first come, first serve, and they and they do have a cap. So there's your announcement for that. Uh, I've been gone. I've been sick. It's great to be back. I had the man flu, but it's awesome to be back in the seat. You got anything for him, Pastor Steve? Nope. Okay. We're good to go. Let's jump in. This is my first question for today. In Jeremiah 31, 22, he says, For the Lord has created a new thing. Woman will encompass man. Can you explain what that means? Pretty much when you're looking uh, for answers for these things, it's a good idea to read before and read after. And in the verses before, it's talking about the nation of Israel coming back into a relationship with God. And so if you look in verse 20, for example, it says, is Ephraim my dear son? And so God pictures Israel, Ephraim is another term for Israel, as his son. Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went, turn back, O virgin of Israel, turn back to these your cities. Now he's picturing Israel as a bride at this point. So turn back, O virgin of Israel. Um, how long will you gad about, O you backsliding daughter? And so now you have a, a situation where Israel is being called a daughter. So virgin, bride, and daughter go together. For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. And the idea of encompass there is to embrace or surround. And so basically what God's saying is that what's going to happen with the nation of Israel is Israel as a backsliding daughter and as a bride who has been unfaithful is going to be coming back to the Lord and she's going to be initiating the relationship. It's not the Lord courting her, but her courting the Lord. The NLT translates it this way. This is verse 21 and 22. 
It says, set up road signs, put up guideposts, make, mark well the path by which you came. Come back again, my virgin Israel. Return to your towns here. How long will you wander, my wayward daughter? For the Lord will cause something new to happen. Israel will embrace her God. And so I think it's, it's just as simple as that. It's the, the idea that the nation of Israel is going to turn around and come back to the Lord. Moving on here, and then my next one. Okay, we'll probably spend some time on this. Okay, so, so many churches are focusing on your trauma, quote, or your hurts, your hurt, and how it has affected you in the past. Seems like so many are encouraged to focus on their past emotional, verbal, physical abuse. They say, I get that abuse is never acceptable and we should stand up against it, but is it wise or what does Scripture say about spending so much time focusing on past hurts? And then the, they say, like, support groups and in counseling. So yeah. there is a major shift. In fact, I've seen it just in my area of former career in law enforcement where all of a sudden guys are now making videos where all they're talking about is their PTSD and their hurt or their trauma and everything they do in life is filtered through that lens. And it becomes like this club of identifying with their trauma. Right. It's a weird, strange thing. What, what do you say? Well, I think it's a cultural thing. Uh, we've got a, we've got a victim, victimhood culture. And so everybody's a victim and everybody should feel sorry for me. Right. And so that is something that's going throughout the culture. Obviously, it's going to bleed into the church and... This is something that has been going on in psychology for quite a while. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about biblical counseling, uh, the problem that we have when we're talking about biblical counseling, and it's not that, that nothing bad has ever happened to us, but the problem that we have in, uh, as far as our relationship with God and our relationship with other people is our sin. It's our sin. And our lousy handling of relationships, which is sin, and our pushing away of people, which is sin, and all the things that, that go on relationally between people where you have breakdowns and, and uh, just torn apart families and, and that kind of thing. And so there's only a couple ways to go with this whole thing. These things are either somebody else's fault or something else's fault, or they're my fault. And when you're looking at what the Bible says, and I don't mean this in a radical mean way, but basically it's your fault. The, the way that you handle a situation um, is something that's on you. The, the way that somebody else has done something to you, that's on them. But the way that you handle situations from that point on is not on them, it's on you. And what psychology tries to do is do what's called blame shifting. And so you see this in the Bible from, from the very, very get-go. When Eve comes to Adam and says, eat from the fruit, and he goes, you know, and, and, and does the whole thing, God comes looking for them, and he says, Adam, where are you? And he's hiding, and he goes, why are you hiding? And he goes, because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? And then God immediately says, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And what he's doing is he's giving the guy the out. And we can take care of this right now. And he's given the guy, guy the out, and what Adam does is he says, it was the woman, and he points to her, that you gave me, and he points to God uh, at that point. And even if he didn't do it physically, he's doing it figuratively in the sense that it's the woman, not my fault, she's the one who made me do it, and you're the one who gave her, gave her to me. Again, not my fault, you're the one who gave her to me. And so... 
does is he takes the blame off himself and he puts it on the woman and then ultimately he puts it on God. It's all, it's all somebody else's fault. This is called blame shifting. And that's what all of psychology does. They blame shift. And so my reaction towards people is not my fault. It's my mom's fault because my mom didn't nurture and take care of me. It's my dad's fault because my dad was a drunk and I was abused. It's uh, society's fault because they didn't take care of us and I was poor. It's, I'm just using my personal situations and um, all the things that I could blame these things on. It's the, the school system's fault because I didn't have teachers that cared enough about me to step in. It's the, you know, and I can go through and blame everybody on the planet for these things and then use that all as an excuse for bad behavior. And so you know that when you're talking about somebody that's been abused or come from a bad background, a bad family, and that kind of thing, the statistics for them doing exactly the same thing are very high at that point. Well, that shouldn't be the case. Because if I've been abused when, I, when I'm a kid, it does not make it the—that uh, is not an excuse for me to go out and abuse another kid. What that does is, is it makes me more accountable because I know what it feels like to be treated that way. And why in the world would I go and do that to somebody else? And again, it's blame shifting. Right. It's not really my fault. It's the fault of my circumstances, my environment. Uh, my parents did it, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And divorcing yourself from all of those things, what God is looking at is not what happened to you. What God is looking at is what are you doing with that now? And I can either learn from those things and I can have a better life. So, for example, there are things that have never happened in my home because of the home that I came from. They've never happened. And it's because I don't want that kind of home anymore. And I'm not going to do that to the people who are around me. And so, again, you, you have that whole thing. What the Bible says is that we're to take responsibility for what's going on in our lives. And the, the cool thing about that, when you have a blame-shifting victimhood society, you have a situation where you never get past it. You're always living back in, back in the event. And so... You know, I'm not 12 years old anymore, but I'm living as if I am. Or I'm not six years old anymore, but I'm living as if I am. Because all of, all of my focus is on events that take place there. That is exactly where Satan wants to put you. He wants to put you in the past. Satan, Satan wants to put you in the past, or he wants to put you in the future, and in the far future. He does not want you active and focused and involved here and now. What he wants you to do is be somewhere else. And so you're, you're the little kid who got abused or you're somebody who's looking for your ship to come in and you don't, go, you don't get up and go to work and you don't treat your, peop your, your people right around you and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's, those are tools that he uses. There's a passage in uh, Philippians chapter 3 where Paul says uh, this in verse 12, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. 
And that's putting the past behind you and moving on to the things that God's got for you. And if in anything you think think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And so, again, what the Bible teaches is that I'm not supposed to be living in my past. And this can go both directions. It can be a past that's been that's been awful. It can be a past that's been glorious. And so when somebody tells me, starts telling me about what God's done in their lives and their, you know, 20 years in the past, immediately what I'm thinking, and sometimes I'm saying it to them, is what's God done for you lately? Right. You know, where, where are things at right now? Because that's past. And so we have an ongoing present tense relationship with Christ, and, and that's where we need to be. And so, you know, the Bible's, the Bible's really clear on this stuff, that, uh, that we don't live there. I am not an abused little child. I'm a 64-year-old man. I am not an abandoned, you know, teenager. I'm a 64-year-old husband and father. And I need to be living where I'm at. I don't get to blame shift uh, my awful qualities. And so when I'm getting mad at my wife, it's not my mom's fault. It is not her fault. It is her fault for doing whatever she did to me, you know, whatever you want to come up with or whatever actually took place. Those things, yes, they are her fault. But what what is happening in your life right now is not the fault of these people. In fact, like I was saying before, if you're looking at this rationally, somebody who has endured all kinds of abuse will be the kindest, most thoughtful person that the world has ever seen because they would never want to do that to somebody else. And that's not the case. Right. And the, the reason it goes that direction is because we're selfish and we don't want to take responsibility yep. for what we're doing in our lives. And so, no, you don't live back when you're 12. And it's not that that can't be helpful at times. You know, one of the problems that I had when, <clears throat> when, I, was a, uh, when I became a Christian, and you know, even long into my walk with God, is I generally don't have a problem seeking God when everything is going fine. And so it's kind of the di- uh, you know different than you have in the book of Judges. <clears throat> For example, when everything went fine, they ditched God and walk away from him. Well, when everything's going fine in my life, I'm, you know, I'm praying and I'm thankful to God and and that's generally how things are going with me. It's when I get into a trial that all of a sudden I'm hunkered down and I don't want to talk to anybody. And 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 it includes God. I don't want to talk to God either. And I know it's wrong, and I know that you know there, there's there's issues with that, and it needs to stop. And God's told me over the years to knock it off. And I never really understood why I was built that way until I went to a men's retreat one time, and a guy who had a good family was talking about the fact that um, his dad was somebody that, that he could always go to when he was having a hard time. And his dad would always give him wisdom and talk him through things and stuff like that. And he said, that's just like my relationship with God. When I have a hard time, that's what I do. I go there. And I just went, oh, that's why I am the way I am. And it's because uh, I didn't have anybody to go to. And so what I did was I hunkered down and I just, you know, basically gritted my teeth and got through it. And then once I got through it, life returned to normal, normal and I could go on with it. And it's exactly what I was doing when I became uh, when I became a Christian, when I should have been dependent upon the Lord. And so God gives me this big revelation and nothing changed. 
It's always, it's all still exactly the same. I'm still built the same way. And the, what's cool about it now is when, I, when I'm dealing with this, I'm not questioning where it came from. I know where it came from. It still needs to stop. So whether I knew it or not, it needs to stop. And I need to be doing the things that God wanted me to. And so generally speaking, me coming to God when I'm in the middle of a trial, I'm gritting my teeth and doing it because it's what God calls me to do. And then when I get there, things get good. But I need to be obedient to the Lord despite what my inclinations are or, and all my excuses for those inclinations. And if you do that, man, your life gets good. And if you don't, you're just somebody who is not doing what God says. Yeah. And that it doesn't matter if you're going to blame it on something or somebody else, or if you're just going to blame it on your own stubbornness and rebellion, it all ends up the same place. You're a person who is walking in disobedience to the Lord. Right. And so you want the blessing of God, you walk in obedience to him. And sometimes that means gritting your teeth and getting over what you've gone through and moving on. And Jesus sees all those things, you know, it's like, it's, you know, uh, there have been times that I've talked to people who've had much harder times in their life than I have. And they're wondering what God's about on this, uh, on this whole thing. And one of the problems that we have, you guys, is we live in a society that will not do what God says to do in situations where there are abusive things going on. So, for example, you rape a little kid, the, the penalty for that is death in the Bible. It's death. It's not 15 years in prison, and it's not counseling. It's death. And we don't do that. Nope. And, and so what ends up happening is you get lawyers involved and lawyers are always into getting their defendants off of things. And so there's this creep that takes place in the judicial system and there is no justice for somebody who's a child who's been raped by, uh, raped by a pedophile or whatever. And then people look at that and they blame it on God. Sorry, God's made it clear what's supposed to be happening in that situation. And if it was death, then there would be a whole lot of people who would be, uh, and if it was death and it was actually meted out and done in less than 20 years, as people go through the court system, if it was actually by this time next year, you're going to be dead if you do this thing and you're caught, that is a deterrent. Absolutely. It's a, it's a total deterrent. And that will keep some people from going there as far as their thinking and, and that kind of stuff. It is also something that stops other people from being abused because we know that people who do that kind of abuse don't just do it to one person. They do it over and over again. And so it is our culture that has got us into this situation where there are all these awful things that are taking place and there's never any justice uh, in in the situation, I can't I can't believe that we as a culture have not rebelled against this long ago. But that's the case with us. And so when I'm talking to somebody who's gone through that stuff, I go, "What do you think God thinks about that with this with this whole situation with a with a person?" And they go, "Well, I don't know, you know, because usually they don't know the Bible." And I'll read them the verses, and I'll say, "God wants this guy dead. That's what He thinks about it. He wants the guy dead." And what should have been happening is your parents. Your society, your culture should have been doing that. And what we have is a culture that's in rebellion against God. Mm -hmm. And so these, these things don't, don't take place. There are times when God enters in and he makes them dead. 
uh, there are times when God enters in and he changes their hearts and effectively makes them dead. That person goes away. And so that's, that's a cool thing. Either way, I'm okay with it at that point. But none of this, uh, none of these things that people have gone through, any kind of abuse, that kind of stuff, none of this is anything that anybody is going to get away with because there is a judgment coming. That's another thing that our culture doesn't want to deal with. There's a judgment coming and all these things are going to be taken care of. It's all coming out in the wash. Nobody's getting away with anything. And it's all coming out in the wash, and God's going to be taking care of it. And so I've had a number of injustices in my life, and when that takes place and it doesn't get taken care of immediately, I'm just waiting for the judgment. You know, God can take care of it then, and I'm good with that, uh, you know, whatever God wants to do in those situations. So, so one thing that I noticed, to your point of being nicer than God, is that they make their act of not killing somebody, the mm-hmm. death penalty, a self-righteousness that they're better because they take that stance. And I see this transferred into the identifying thing Mm -hmm. where instead of doing what God says by taking responsibility of your sin or of forgiveness, which is the process, and they're they're wasting all this time on someone who's not even thinking about them or could give a rip, consuming them when if you just did what the Lord says, all that goes away. And they make the... I identify as, or it's not my fault because I have the disease of alcoholism and on down the list, a self-righteousness where they are a good person by doing those things instead of what God God says. And the other thing is the, the person that's counseling them feels okay with this in the sense that they're being more compassionate than God would be in this situation. Absolutely. And they are not because you got some guy who's living as a Mm 12-year-old, which is exactly, again, where Satan wants the guy. You don't don't want to do that. And so, yeah, you brought in the whole issue of forgiveness, and that's another whole can of worms. We are to forgive. And and so when I'm talking again to somebody, and I always put this in extreme situations, when I'm talking to somebody about uh, some kind of abuse that's taken place like that, I ask them, and usually I'm talking to Christians, what would you do if this person came up to you and said, I can't even ask you for forgiveness. I just want you to know I'm absolutely sorry. And I mean, you could throw in things like, I, I, I know I should be dead mm-hmm. for what I've done for you. Your point is true repentance. Yeah, true repentance. The person comes up and there's real repentance there. And I ask them, what would you do? And to a person, they always say, well, I would forgive them at that point. And then we talk about what forgiveness looks like. And so forgiveness uh, is the idea of, okay, I'm good, and this is taken care of. I'm not going to think of these things anymore. This is not where I'm going to go with this stuff because the the person has repented and they're forgiven. That doesn't mean that they're restored to the original relationship. And so if I, as as a pastor, do certain things, I can put myself in a position where I can never be a pastor again. And I, you know, it's, it doesn't mean that I'm not a Christian, doesn't mean that I don't serve God. I'd just be serving God in some other position at that point because I've stepped across lines that people frankly can't get over. And um, what I, when I'm talking to a person that's in that situation, because one of the things that you have, that you have with them is they are highly manipulative. That's all the time we have for this week. If you have questions for Pastor Steve, email us at crosswalkradio at gmail.com or send us a text at 707-872-7677. God bless.
You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.